This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As is so often the case, we have a ton of material we'd like to go through, things we can analyze, things we can make fun of, things we can joke about, etc., Having been out of the country for several weeks, I do have a backlog of material. Curious, interesting stuff I want to talk about. I just, God, wish we had more time sometimes. If the opportunity presents itself, we will be, on some weeks in the future, putting out more than one show. But doesn't look as though it's going to be this week. So, without too much further ado, let's jump into the program and start it the way we like to, which is with, on this date in history, our date today is the 16th of June. We would start by noting that on the 20th, next Monday, summer will begin as we achieve the summer solstice. The day before, Sunday, will be Father's Day. If your dad is still around, see if you can't do something for him, won't you? It was on June 16th, in the year 1879, that the HMS Pinafore Musical Theater by Gilbert and Sullivan debuted at the Bowery Theater in New York. And a few years later, in this case June 16th in 1884, the first roller coaster in America opened at Coney Island in Brooklyn, which for those in the West Coast, we would remind you, is a beachside playground for metropolitan New York. And also offers the opportunity for a bit of musical accompaniment. day in finance on June 16th in 1933 in the aftermath of the stock market crash and the ensuing depression, Congress created the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the FDIC. It guarantees Americans that their principal deposited in a licensed bank would not again ever be lost. Well, at least if you got 100000 or less. And on this date in 1963, aboard the Vostok 6, Soviet cosmonaut Valentina Tereshkova became the first woman to travel in space. Evidently, her enthusiasm for skydiving brought her to the attention of the Soviet authorities, which sought to put a woman in space in the early 60s as a means of beating the U.S. in another space first. Tereshkova orbited the Earth 48 times and, by all accounts, kept the neatest space capsule of any of the initial cosmonauts and astronauts. I think for our quotes, quips, and jokes, we're going to rely on The Economist magazine's summary of what they've been hearing on the U.S. presidential campaign. We borrowed from them a few weeks back after, after John Boehner, speaking about Ted Cruz for the Stanford Daily, <laughs> referred to him as Lucifer in the flesh, adding, I've never worked with a more miserable son of a bitch in my life. And frankly, we don't mind repeating that one. Donald Trump is a bad guy, but it could be even worse. Then again, for our quote for today, we will refer to what a Trump supporter said. We should clarify that this was a Trump-supporting tow truck driver in North Carolina. He said, something just came over me. I think the Lord came to me, and he just said, get in the truck and leave. And when I got in my truck, I was so proud because I felt like I finally drew a line in the sand and stood up for what I believed. Yes, and what this man did was abandon a stranded Bernie Sanders supporter. Yes, he refused to tow the man. 
If you suspect that Trump supporters trend toward being horses' asses, you may be on to something. And for our quotes slash quips, we're going to review what numerous Republican politicians said both before Trump became the presumptive nominee and afterwards. Lindsey Graham, Senator from South Carolina, before. He's a race-baiting, xenophobic, religious bigot. After. We talked about national security and told some jokes. He's very cordial. He's a funny guy. He's from New York. He can take a punch. Senator John McCain. Before. I think he may owe an apology to the families of those who have sacrificed in conflict and those who have undergone the prison experience in serving their country. After. You have to listen to people that have been chosen the nominee of our Republican Party. I think it'd be foolish to ignore them. Bobby Jindal, former governor of Louisiana. Before. You know why Trump hasn't read the Bible? Because he's not in it. After. Electing Donald Trump would be the second worst thing we could do in November. Better only than electing Hillary Clinton. Chris Christie, governor of New Jersey. Before. A crisis for Donald is when his favorite restaurant in the Upper East Side isn't open. After. There is no one who's better prepared to provide America with the strong leadership that it needs both at home and around the world. Rick Perry, former governor of Texas. Before. Donald Trump's candidacy is a cancer on conservatism. After, I'm going to support him and help him and do what I can. Rand Paul, senator from Kentucky, before. Donald Trump is a delusional narcissist and an orange-faced windbag. After, I took a pledge when I ran for president to not run as an independent and to support the Republican nominee. I stand by that pledge. And finally, I think we'll quote from Nikita Khrushchev, as we've done before, who once said, Politicians are the same everywhere. They promise to build bridge even if there is no river. For our joke of the week, we're going to borrow from the writers for Seth Meyers who noted a few weeks back that a poll has found that Bernie Sanders is the most likable of all the presidential candidates, which is kind of like being the best-dressed person at Walmart. All right, let's do some good news. There is some good news out there. Uh, One item I think I'm going to cite is the fact that in the Bay Area, they are restoring some of the messed up uh, uh, areas in in, uh, the South Bay. And in this case, I'm referring to Eden Landing Ecological Reserve, which is in Hayward. The state and federal government paid Cargill Salt $100 million for more than eight, for more than 15,000 acres of industrial salt ponds, bringing San Francisco Bay. And as part of the restoration of the wildlife, they are, um, they're busy at work in Hayward, breaching levees and restoring tidal marshes. This is pretty cool stuff. This correspondent will try and uh, visit this area in the future to give you a first-hand report. All right, for our anecdote of the week, I think we're going to go with this one. (laughs) Apparently, when six-year-old Robbie Richardson of Quincy, Massachusetts, thought that his dad had run a red light, he knew what he had to do. Yes, he called 911 as soon as he got home. Robbie told the emergency dispatcher, Daddy went past the red light before giving them a detailed description of his father's car. The dispatcher asked the boy to put his dad on the phone, who explained that he'd made a right turn on red, which apparently is legal in Massachusetts. 
Robbie's mom, Jolene, said that her son was a good boy who, quote, thought he was doing the right thing, unquote. Yes, and if you ever wondered where it is the FBI gets its informants, you may be closer to an answer now. Our stat of the week is that Donald Trump and his businesses have been involved in at least 3,500 lawsuits in federal and state courts during the past three decades. Yes, that's over 1,000 per decade. The lawsuits involved personal defamation claims, battles with patrons of his casinos over their unpaid debts, and there are claims that Trump did not pay contractors and failed condo projects. All right, let's see if we can't jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for mustard after the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, which, as we all know, is a very powerful organization, (laughs) declared that ketchup is unfit for hot dogs and should be used as a condiment only by people under the age of 18. Do you think perhaps the mustard people influenced some of the votes there at the National Hot Dog and, and Sausage Council? We at Radio Parallax have our suspicions. And it was a bad week last week for the astronaut selection process, we would say, with the news that Representative Louie Gohmert, Republican from Texas, has challenged his fellow lawmakers to exclude gay people from future space colonies. Gohmert said in a speech on the House floor, if the world is facing a civilization-ending asteroid strike, we may have to launch a Noah's Ark-type spaceship. If you could decide what 40 people to put in the spaceship, that will save humanity, it would make no sense to include same-sex couples. And it was an ugly week last week for respecting our judicial system with the news that a small-town Arkansas judge who stepped down in May after a state commission discovered thousands of photographs of nude male defendants on his computer is now under criminal investigation having been accused of dropping defendants' traffic or court fines in exchange for sexual favors. The Arkansas Judicial Discipline and Disability Commission has been investigating Cross County Judge Joseph Bokeman, age 70, under a separate conflict of interest allegation when a number of male defendants came forward saying they'd been coerced by Bokeman into posing for nude photos as part of their, quote, community service, unquote. Some said they were forced to bend over. One said he was asked to pose as Michelangelo's David. The commission's top official called it, if not the worst, among the worst cases of judicial misconduct in Arkansas state history. Since we are talking about Arkansas here, you you know this must be bad. Yes, we know they sent a a governor to the White House and and are trying to send a native daughter to the White House once again. But we can't resist bringing up Will Durst's line about people from Arkansas. Durst pointed out back in the 90s that people from Arkansas were the kind that would say things like, Hey, look at him. He's wearing shoes. And apparently it's both a bad and ugly week uh, this last week for seeing Hamilton after reports that the Broadway show's creator, Lin-Manuel Miranda, is leaving the show in July, and this caused already sky-high ticket prices to more than double. The cheapest seat 
on the website StubHub spiked to over $1,500, while seats in the orchestra topped $10,000. You know, if I was going to pay $10,000 for orchestra seats, I would expect at least a lap dance out of it. But hey, that's just me. I add that in truth, I've never had a lap dance and do not seek one. But if I spent 10000 bucks on tickets, damn it, I'd have to up the ante. Actually, oddly enough, I do have in my possession tickets for a future production of Hamilton. It's coming to San Francisco, and I, I plan to give them to my sister. Because frankly, a rap musical is just not going to work for me. Let's see if we can't do a little um, detour into political correctness, shall we? Um, The Week magazine notes in its Only in America section that a group of students has petitioned the Yale English Department to drop a requirement that they study famed English poets such as Shakespeare, Chaucer, and Milton. The petitioners claim that focusing on the works of white men, quote, harms all students, unquote, and is especially hostile to students of color. They are calling on their professors to, quote, decolonize, unquote, the curriculum. Now, Radio Parallax wants to help in this endeavor. Yes, apparently this group of alleged Yale English Department students wants to get rid of, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. And they presumably want to replace it with something that's less hostile to students of colors, like perhaps this. In this case, we're using the lyrics of Jay-Z's Coming of Age, the sequel. Cocaine wider now, operation is sweet. Whole game tighter now, moving a brick a week. I don't know if it's the chicks or how we dividing the loot. Time to pay his ass a visit before he decides to get cute. That's much better, of course. Yes, I have to confess, we're having some problems contemplating um, the mentality of the millennial college student. We're not alone in this. Apparently, Vanity Fair magazine also did some head-scratching comparing what uh, used to be the norms on campus. Of course, in this case, the norms were the standards back in 1968, which were compared in the current issue of the magazine to the the standards of 2016. To quote from the magazine, in the spring of 1968, amid a contentious presidential election, college campuses erupted in protest. Today, as the grandchildren of those student activists give voice to their own political concerns, backdropped by another contentious election, Vanity Fair offers a breakdown of the difference between then and now. This is a piece by Bruce Firestein. All right, we will compare 1968 to 2016 doing then and now. Then, what are we protesting? The war in Vietnam. Now, racism, sexism, lack of diversity. What do we want? Then, the end of the draft. Now, safe spaces and trigger warnings. Whom do we want off campus? Then, military recruiters. Now, anyone who disagrees with us. But what are we really fighting here, then? American imperialism, now white privilege. And how does this manifest itself, then? Carpet bombing, Agent Orange, and B-52 raids on Hanoi. Now, microaggressions, such as using the wrong sushi rice in the dining hall. 
So what's really at stake here? Then our lives. Now our feelings. And how does the administration react? Then calls in the tactical police force. Now caves in and cowers behind the university diversity office. What about the faculty? Then distinguished Boston University professor Howard Zinn leads protests and gets arrested. Now Disgraced Mizzou journalism professor calls for, quote, muscle, unquote, against student photographers. Upshot, then, Richard Nixon elected president, Vietnam War continues for six more years. Now, Donald Trump. It is hard to see a lot of progress in this. You know, taking this one step further, according to someone named Ann Hornaday, writing in the WashingtonPost.com, Going to see the new all-female Ghostbusters is apparently a political act. According to Ms. Hornaday, the prospect of comedians, so-called comedians, Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Kate McKinnon, and Leslie Jones donning proton packs for a reboot of the 1984 classic was already a major event for female cinema-goers. She notes that that was before the 2016 remake ran straight into the buzzsaw of sexist backlash. Supposedly, the movie's trailer has been met with an engulfing wave of hate from what's described as geeky men who claim that the all-female remake will somehow despoil their childhood memories of Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, and company. And we gather that the preview of the new Ghostbusters is in fact the most hated trailer in YouTube history. It has generated 900,000 dislikes. Radio Parallax has to ask the question, is this possibly because Melissa McCarthy is about as funny as watching paint dry? Is it possible this is something other than a sexist backlash? But uh, Lori Penny writing in TheGuardian.com said this sort of, quote, organized trash reviewing, unquote, now occurs whenever male internet trolls fear that a film or video game threatens their privileged place in our culture. What, what are you talking about? Guys, if you're, she adds, guys, if your sense of self is wrapped up in the gender of Ghostbuster stars, how fragile must your masculinity be? Well, that's one way of looking at it, but another way might be that Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, and Dan Aykroyd were funny. Ira Reitman was a good director. It had a good script. It had a good supporting cast with Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver, etc. Is it possible that 900,000 people dislike the YouTube trailer because it stinks? I don't know. We're genuinely saddened by the fact that the death of Harold Ramis means that there never will be a reunion of the original Ghostbuster Quartet. At any rate, let's see what America's foremost political comic, Mr. Wilders, has to say about, well, whatever Mr. Wilders feels like talking about. Hey guys, Wilders here with a few choice words about the phrase that's bubbling out of everyone's lips in the political circus this week, third-party candidate. Dark words of terror that strike fear in the hearts of all major party leaders, owing to a couple of dodgy characters named Ross Perot and Ralph Nader, or as Donald Trump would call them, losers. 
A legitimate third-party candidacy hasn't affected an election since the year 2000. But this time around, faced with the choice of two candidates less popular than acid rain at a papier-mâché sculpture garden, the populace might be tempted to vote for less polarizing figures. And right now, a 15-foot alligator with irritable bowel syndrome would be less polarizing than Hillary or Donald. The Libertarians chose former Republican New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson and are hoping to bump his poll numbers north of 15% to qualify for the October debates. Although they might want to buy canyon acreage in Utah waiting for it to become oceanfront property would probably happen faster. And now neocon Bill Crystal has floated a staff writer on his National Review magazine as a conservative alternative to Trump. Nobody knows anything about this man, David French, except he doesn't have the chance of a toothpick at a bonfire. The Green Party is expected to choose Dr. Jill Stein again, expanding the slate of possible contenders to five. And even that doesn't bring us to a tenth of the way of rolling like Venezuela, which has over 50 political parties. India has 350, and many folks maintain Israel has more political parties than voters. To be honest, though, America doesn't need more candidates, but a ballot option that reads none of the above. Of course, if that position would win, then we would have to get by with a vacated office, which, considering the alternative, doesn't sound altogether like too bad of an idea. For Wilders.com, I'm Wilders. All right, we got a lot of things we want to talk about. The Vanity Fair article titled Wall Street's Drug Problem. The New Scientist magazine cover story about fats versus carbs. The economists look at antibiotic resistance. But you know what? We don't have time for any of those today, but we will do our best to discuss them on next week's program. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I cleaned the windows and I swept the floor And I polished up the handle of the big front door I polished up the handle so carefully That now I am the ruler of the Queen's Navy He polished up the handle so carefully That now he is the ruler of the Queen's Navy 